I do sometimes, and, and Frank, what do you eat when you, when you roll up at a McDonald's? What is, what do you downtown order? That fish delight sometimes, right? Uh, the, uh, the Big Macs are great, the quarter It's episode, it's episode 33. It's episode 33. I'm Will Menneker, joined by always Felix Biederman. Hey, everybody. Matt Christman. Hello, Governor. <laughs> and joining us today, I'm super excited because we have an awesome slate of stories. It's Libby Watson, everybody. Hello. You know Libby. Oh, she's going to do a fun accent too as a joke. That's cool. <laughs> I thought about trying to do my terrible American accent, but it's really so painful. Yeah, barbecue do food. Do it. Barbecue yeah, yeah, food. Well, yeah, barbecue food is really all it is. <laughs> <laughs> my culture, not your costume. <laughs> I'll, have a, I'll have a cheeky Nando and a barbecue food. I'm sure. <laughs> If you are listening to us, Libby knows needs no introduction. Uh, you know her from Twitter, but um, she comes to us all the way from the uh, the town of Tesco's in in the UK. That's that's where I was born. I was born in a Tesco's. That's beautiful. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> How could the orphan? What is it? The like bastard orphan son of a <laughs> How Tesco? Could the orphan, bastard <laughs> child of a Tesco. <laughs> no, but like I said. We're we're super psyched to have you here, and but and we and I think we should hit the ground running. There are so many. This has been such a good news week so far. There's been so many awesome stories, and it's, I, I it's been rich with epic fail. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're gonna have time to get to all of them. But again, before we get started, I just need to check in, Matt Christman. Where are you coming to us from on your epic? Uh, uh, spiritual quest slash road trip slash indie movie. Well, I'm uh, coming to you from Salt Lake City. Ooh, I Salt just Lake got City. back from Temple Square. Uh, I saw Joseph Smith's Death Mask. How'd he uh, look? He looked dead, man. He looked really <laughs> fucking dead. Uh, uh, saw some awesome. I saw Colab. I saw a painting of Colab, which we love to talk about. Uh, I saw Jesus next to Colab, the planet he's from. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Can, and I got um, to see the temple. I saw the temple itself. Yeah. Matt seeing Kolob like in Salt Lake City was kind of just like taking a tour of a timeshare that you're later gonna buy into. Like we're all going to Kolob. <laughs> we we're, we're all like we're yes, definitely getting we will to end up in Kolob. Yeah, we are. Uh, Shapo will will reign eternal in heaven. We're gonna be broadcasting podcasts into infinity. We're getting our own fucking uh, it, galaxy. It, 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 you yeah. guys can hear uh, but this. The thing, the thing, the temple itself, you can't go in it if you're not Mormon. You have to show them a card to prove you're Mormon to get into the Wait, temple. it's literally a card? You have to be a card-carrying card. Mormon? Yeah. You have to be a literal card-carrying Mormon to get into the temple. And it's well, really... easy to get around. An, it's an alienating, you, really you, unpleasant building. Is there it a looks market like a for, uh, for fake Mormon IDs? So you, is it, IDs you can use to not buy alcohol. Mormon voter for <laughs> Yeah, I got, you know, uh, you know, all my friends are peer pressuring me to drink at this party and I don't want to do it because I got a big test tomorrow. Can I get a card that says I'm a Mormon so they'll stop hassling me? What if you're Jewish? Like that's, isn't that like, you know, in the game, the Halo games, like the master race was called the Forerunners and they invented all these ships and plasma <laughs> rifles. And that's kind of what Jews are to Mormons. 
Like if I just went in there and I like I took out my dick and I was like, oh, guys, I'm cut. I my moil was a goyle and uh, they're just like, all right, you have. That doesn't prove anything. I I'm circumcised too, and I'm not Jewish. Oh Check well, yeah, name. but I have like a little. Like, I have a Hebrew letter carved into the underside of my. That's actually how they know this. All I gotta say is, uh, dicks out for Joseph Smith, everybody. <laughs> well, I was thinking that he is the Harambe of the 19th century. <laughs> in that his death created a religious movement, which is what will happen with, with Harambe. Harambe. Yeah. Well, you know what, guys? I, I just want to say, it's easy to make fun of Mormons and their beliefs, but you know what? They're very clean. They're very efficient. They're ruthlessly efficient, you might say, and provide excellent security and intelligence. And even though they do not uh, drink or gamble themselves, provide excellent um, security uh, for a casino venture. Yeah, absolutely. They'll, they'll hook you up with all the uh, the clean young blood that they can find. <laughs> and uh, if they if you, they want you don't if you want them to help you assassinate Bobby Kennedy, they're on on that shit too. Allegedly, come on. Allegedly, Iron yes. Bob Mayhew, Google him. Well, they did that a lot. I was in the gift shop, and they have a bunch of uh, action figures for the different figures from the Book of Mormon, and like a lot of them, a lot of the stuff in the Book of Mormon just sounds like things that were just made up. Like there's a guy named Mosiah, M O S I A, and like there's a guy called Nephi and Moroni, the angel Moroni. I mean, it just sounds like things that the guy, it's like Kaiser Soze, he's looking at the wall and there's a bunch of, and he's just <laughs> making Kobayashi. Um, yeah. Mormonism is Halo though. It's exactly like Halo. Joseph Smith was Master Chief. Uh, the black people are the flood. Uh, <laughs> Jews are the covenants. <laughs> okay, We're, we we can't go down this rabbit hole and expect to have any time to talk about anything else. So I want to move. I want to segue from Joseph Smith to another prophet, another guy whose time has come, and his name is uh, Stephen Bannon. I'm referring to now. This is a, a story oh, yeah. that broke just today that uh, Donald Trump has now uh, gotten rid of his old campaign manager and replayed him with this guy, Stephen Bannon, who is the guy who's been running uh, Breitbart.com since uh, Andrew um, was called away. Andrew is up in heaven right now with Lucky Luciano, with Bugsy Siegel, all the gangster, all the classy gangsters that pulled up their pants. They're all like playing. And Tony's up there. T is up there. Ralph Cifaretto is in hell, but they're all playing a big card game right now. I have to say that it is the trajectory here is really amazing. So he starts off with Lewandowski, who's a longtime political operative, close to him. They fire him and bring in Manafort, who's like a like an old vampire of D.C. who knows where all the bodies are buried and all that stuff. Old school political operator. Now they're bringing in some dickhead from Breitbart. I mean, in two weeks, like Ricky Vaughn is going to be... The campaign guy, or like like Nazi, you know, like Pepe Himmler forty eight is going to be the, I just wanna, the campaign manager. I want to read a little bit from the Washington Post story about. Um, it says the headline is Trump reshuffles staff in his own image, and the idea, it's like the subtext here is that uh, Trump is dying and wants to be surrounded by loved ones <laughs> in his last days. 
<laughs> but it says uh, Bannon in phone calls and meetings has been earning Trump for months to mount a fall campaign that makes Republican donors and oh wait not to mount a fall campaign that makes Republican donors and officials comfortable. Instead, Bannon has been telling Trump to run more fully as an outsider and unabashed nationalist. Trump had listened intensely to Bannon and agreed with him, believing that voters will ultimately want a presidential candidate who represents disruption more than a candidate with polished appeal. I want oh, to cool. win. So he's uber for racism. That's wicked. I want to win, Trump told the Wall Street Journal. That's why I'm bringing on fantastic people who know how to win and love to win. And by so that, once again, <laughs> once again, it's a fucking, it's a drill tweet. This a whole Trump campaign has been a series of drill tweets. And this one is where it's psychiatrist. Your problem is, is that you're perfect and smart and everyone is jealous of your good posts. And that makes you rightfully upset. Me, I agree. <laughs> With Bannon and Trump in there instead. A lot of people have been criticizing Trump, not me. Uh, if you have been paying attention to the demographics, what demographic has Trump been losing? Suburban whites. Who, what is the best movie according to Suburban Whites? It's Eight Mile. What happened in Eight Mile? Eminem like kept, B-Rabbit, kept getting owned. And they were like, you're a choke artist, you're a choke, you, uh, your campaign manager took money from Yanukovych, Corey Lewandowski, the truth said he was going to kill McKay Coppins. And then he like came back and he beat the free world, which represents the globalists, which represents Hillary Clinton. Uh, and that's sort of what's going on in the campaign. Like Trump just hired D12. The alt-right is D12. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's going to be like Trump, Cernovich, Mike Cernovich is like Mackay Pfeiffer in the movie, except for, you know, like a key difference that I think we can all assume. But anyway, he's going to give Trump the gorilla mindset. Trump is going to have like alpha gorilla posture. He's going to be doing workouts and improve his alpha gorilla posture. He's eating not, more game meats. Yeah, and not, taking up smoking. Not eating red meat, not coming. Trump is not. You look at what it, you ask me. What is the biggest problem with Trump's campaign? He's been coming too much. <laughs> he didn't come at all during the primaries. He's just been like jacking off and fucking the entire general election, and it shows. He's gonna bring that alpha energy. And, so, and does that mean that Milo is Cheddar Bob? Milo is Cheddar Bob. He he shot himself in the ass uh, with his own gun. Um, so I live in DC. So I'm gonna need you guys to translate all of that into Game of Thrones so that I can well, understand I, it. I, well, this is a this is sort of like uh, in in the the, Wall, the Washington Post article. Um, it it's, it describes how Trump was sort of goaded into doing this by other rich people. Uh, probably r people richer than him at a fundraiser held at the house the Hamptons home of uh, Woody Johnson where he was approached by uh, a woman named Rebecca Mercer who is the daughter of a hedge fund titan named Robert Mercer who basically uh, said he looks like a pussy because his advisors have been taming his personality and then he was like I can't have this Bring, get me Steve Bannon get me the band man that's really interesting because uh, Robert Mercer was a big cruise guy before he he gave a lot of money to the cruise campaign. So it's interesting to go from like not being able to handle the full Trump train to yeah, fuck it, why not? Well, yeah, this is his crazy. daughter Rebecca. So maybe yeah, he was yeah. on onto cruise, but his daughter Rebecca likes Trump. You know, Fam maybe, family difficulties. Maybe. Did you guys notice the name of this guy, Steve Ooh, Bannon? Who do you know? Who else was named Banning? I know his name is Bannon, but it's also Banning. Agent Mike Banning? Gerard Butler in Olympus Has Fallen. <laughs> well, Trump like Gerard it. Butler, 
in Olympus yes. Has Fallen yes. and outside of his film career. Uh, Steve Bannon uh, likes to drink, and you yeah, can tell. Yeah, he does. I don't, like so. Steve Bannon apparently took over Breitbart on, um, like I said, after Andrew was called home. Uh, too good for this world. To call up. Back yeah. to his home planet. I didn't think it was possible. I never knew about this guy until today, and I'm so glad I know about him now. I didn't think it was possible, but they handed over the reins of Breitbart to a guy who looks even more physically unwell than Andrew Breitbart did. Probably. He looks, <laughs> Steve Bannon looks like a pile of dirty clothes that got brought to life by an evil wizard. <laughs> I want to disagree with the characterization of Andrew Breitbart as unhealthy looking. He was a man at peak physical condition who suspiciously died after doing eight pounds of cocaine. I'm looking at a picture of Steve Bannon right now, and he looks like if uh, W.C. Fields also had a cocaine problem. He's... <laughs> he is in full gin blossom. And this is the best part. Every single photo I have seen of Steve Bannon today, it's like his signature style. He always wears two collared shirts. He's wearing a button-up shirt over a polo shirt, and then in several other uh, pictures I saw of him, he's wearing a suit jacket and then two suit shirts, which apparently... I don't understand. I I don't know. I'm told that this is like a Southern alcoholic thing, where Mm. you just need like, not even an undershirt, you need two full shirts to just soak up the booze sweats. I think it's like a power thing. It's like, if one shirt is powerful, two shirts must be twice (laughs) as powerful as that. Well, he is, I mean, he's he's a powerful, he's a force. This guy's a force of nature. Oh, and it he reminds w- me of, like, how girls in secondary school would wear two bras, like, because they thought that that made their tits look bigger or whatever. I think it's the same deal. Uh, yeah, uh, the, these shirts make his head look bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so, in looking into to Steve Bannon, I came across today... A profile of him uh, from Bloomberg that was in, uh, done in 2015 by uh, Joshua Green, and it is great. But of course, because it's Bloomberg, the whole thing is shot through with this kind of naivete, where like uh, Joshua Green, the guy who's writing it, you, it, the title, the headline is "This is the most dangerous political operative in America," <laughs> which I think is a bit of an oversell. I, well, I mean, he's like a danger to himself. <laughs> Well, the whole thing kind of centers around that he uh, he was just getting into like publishing uh, books, and he published the, the Clinton Cash book that was supposed to be a game changer. And he was like, "We we finally have the goods. We finally have the goods on Hillary Clinton." And the article seems to uh, take this very seriously. But um, there is there's some great color about about Ban the Ban Man in in this article, and I just want to give it a little bit to you now. I just want to read this passage from uh, the Bloomberg profile, and I want to get your, fir- your, your first reaction to this description of him. So it says, uh, Bannon, an ex-Goldman Sachs banker, is the sort of character who would stand out anywhere, but especially in the drab environs of Washington. A mile-a-minute talker who thrums with energy, his sentences speed off ahead of him and spin into great pileups of nouns, verbs, and grins. With his sweat-back blonde hair and... Par- okay, he doesn't have blonde hair. I don't know what they're talking Wait about. Wait a minute, sweat-back? Oh, yeah. I heard sweat-back. He, no, he said swept-back blonde hair oh. and, par- and partiality to cargo I'm shorts. I'm still thinking it's sweat-back. His, his partiality to cargo shorts and flip-flops. He looks like Jeff Spicoli after a few decades of hard living, and he employs dude just as readily. I, so, um, okay, uh, I wouldn't really say he looks like a slightly, 
I mean, Sean Penn looks like Jeff Spicoli after a few decades of hard living. <laughs> he more looks like Jeff Spicoli. He more looks like Jeff Spicoli after like a few thousand calories. But uh, what property oh, links this guy and Andro? A certain thing, know. a certain thing that could make you talk a mile a minute and and, and quote <laughs> and quote thrum with energy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. I ugh, what? Do, what do you guys think? I uh, I don't know. What could it be? I actually think he looks a little bit like Andrew Breitbart, but like a oh, totally. like genuinely yeah. a reanimated Breitbart corpse. Like they just took him the straight greatest out of thing the possible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm guessing that like Peter Thiel's uh, like cloning vats have finally started to pump out viable specimens. Yeah, yeah pumped it, him th- full of the blood of like a sophomore girl, and he's fine. Frank Frankenfurtstein. <laughs> it says he he comes from a blue collar Irish Catholic pro Kennedy pro Union family, explaining his politics, but then he joined the Navy during the Carter administration and saw how effed up things had gotten and he, uh, you know he came to Reagan oh. and um, I just like th- throughout this article it, I sort of get the feeling that Josh Green and like people who cover politics for Bloomberg or sort of in the DC environs and maybe Libby you can you can give me some sense of this I sort of feel like most of the people they interact with of a day are just so excessively square and buttoned down when they come across some guy like this who wears three shirts at all times <laughs> thrums with energy seemingly disregards his personal appearance and like cusses and says wild things people are like oh wow this guy this guy's he's different he's dangerous he's he's a genius he must have something to say right no i read i read most of that profile too and yeah that uh, really struck me like it is true that the, the someone who says dude a lot is kind of interesting by DC standards like that's pretty much as uh, like interesting and energetic as you're gonna get and yeah like everyone here is fucking wearing slacks and you know the same blue shirt and the same fucking pleated pants so yeah if someone's wearing two shirts then you're gonna notice them (laughs) bringing like the slightest sliver of personal personality or personal flair to DC is like going to an undiscovered tribe with a Zippo lighter (laughs) they're just like the natives are awed by it you must be a god and that's that's and in the article he describes about how he came out of the sort of the the anti-Clinton 90s and the and the trooper gate and Vince Foster and all that seemingly chastened by he said like he says the lesson that we should have learned that we learned from that is that you can't oversell the conclusion and you can't go too far you got it like you like you have to really nail down the facts and you know do the hard work of reporting which are the lessons that he applied to Breitbart <laughs> <laughs> no I I, w- I want to say also talking of the 90s there is an interesting bit in that article where he, uh, Josh Green talks to David Brock and uh, I thought there was it, he said something like uh, that Brock wasn't uh, it didn't act like he had a sort of ideological uh, problem with Bannon and in fact that he kind of respected him in a, in a professional way like that he you know like game recognized game basically right that he he saw what Bannon was doing and kind of like yeah a curiosity and professional respect for the tradecraft Bannon demonstrated because this is what Brock used to do um, and you know I mean Brock whatever his conversion was I, I don't know that it went that deep so I'm sure he's not as it's, you know repulsed by his politics it's the it's Game of Thrones it's the Brotherhood without banners but in this case it's the Brotherhood of Men with with uh, swept back hair, um, who thrum with energy at all times. A lot of thrumming, a lot of thrumming going on. I would call it the Brotherhood without nasal cartilage. <laughs> the uncut Brotherhood. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Here's the quote. He says, In the 1990s, conservative media couldn't take down Bill Clinton because most of what they produced was punditry and opinion, and they always oversold the conclusion. It's clearly impeachable, so they wound up talking to themselves in an echo chamber. And he goes on to say that he loved Andrew because for Andrew, there is no dirtier word than pundit. But, like, it, it is a really interesting character profile, this guy, because, it, you know, once again, sort of like when we read uh, the, the Rouse Douthout uh, book, um, I, against my better judgment, I found myself having a, a weird affection for him because in it, he talks about how he sort of got out of the Navy and then really just through luck and kind of blarney, you know, got into these series of, like, increasingly amazing jobs. Like, he describes he wanted to uh, go to Harvard Business School and somehow he got in. And then he was went to a Goldman Sachs like recruiting day where there was 600 people and he thought, oh, fuck it. There's no way I'm going to get a job out of this, but ended up having a conversation about baseball with the son of the Goldman Sachs chairman of the board who then got him hired like the next week or something like that. And then most amazingly, he moves on from Goldman Sachs because he got dis- disillusioned with Wall Street because it was too dishonest, I guess. And that chairman's son's name? was Dan McLaughlin. <laughs> but check this out. He actually, most of uh, Bannon's money, and he is quite rich, all comes from the residuals from Seinfeld. He got into the entertainment industry because he sort of like, again, lucked into this thing where he was going to broker a deal where uh, Ted Turner was going to buy uh, Castle Rock Entertainment, which had all these Billy Crystal movies. And then, as he said, in the run to the litter, <clears throat> in this deal was Seinfeld. And so he owns royalties to Seinfeld that are still paying off to this day. It's Can you imagine like being lucky enough to just turn up at things like Goldman Sachs and fucking Seinfeld and like somehow end up making money off it and then squandering that luck by running fucking Breitbart.com. <laughs> and, like, and you have this gift from the Lord where the Lord keeps giving you opportunities and you use it to run stories about how black people are scary. <laughs> he's He has the luck of the Irish and like, but and, and, but yeah, he's now cashing it in to uh, be in the Trump bunker for the last days. <laughs> <laughs> to get shot in the head. Yeah, I, I, want, I just want to read here. It says, he wasn't even supposed to get the Seinfeld residuals. He was offered, this is almost a fuck up. They said, in lieu of a full advisor's fee, the firm he represented accepted a stake in five shows, including one in its third season regarded as the runt of the litter, Seinfeld. And then it said, after Societe Generale bought Bannon and Company in 1998, Bannon, no longer needing a day job, drove dove into Hollywood moguldom, becoming an executive producer, including Anthony Hopkins' 1999 Titus. It was then he met a hard-partying, talented manager who had discovered the band Corn and managed Backstreet Boys. <laughs> as Bannon was selling, I'm coming on cut. <laughs> as Bannon was selling his company, uh, the manager, this guy, was launching one of his own, a management outfit called The Firm, whose clients included Ice Cube and Martin Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you know when you eat your girl's ass and white values are being diluted by open borders? <laughs> but the, and Bannon keeps saying over and over again that he wanted to get into because he said, we have to change the culture as conservatives. We have to change the culture or else we're never going to win politics. And I guess this was this was something actually Andrew Breitbart did say uh, over and over in his lucid moments. He, he would actually say it 30 times in a row <laughs> through gritted teeth. 
<laughs> but it was one of the more lucid things he said. But yeah, no, Bannon got into films and Seinfeld. And then, yeah, just sort of keeps bungling into these uh, like blockbuster deals, and uh, of which the Trump campaign is now, I think, the, his crowning achievement. Yeah, I mean, where do you go after that, though? Um, what's next? <laughs> I just... <laughs> He's going to bring back Seinfeld, only it's going to be, like, alt-right-feld. <laughs> it's going to sound There are four friends on the what Upper West Side. What is the deal with my people? You know, Kramer, Kramer, Kramer is the only one that can return as he is. <laughs> I was going to say, it's about four friends on the Upper West Side of Manhattan who hate Jews. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, and it, there are two sort of funny fallouts to this Steve Bannon thing. The first of which I just want to note, um, Steve Bannon, again, has been described as a quote-unquote street fighter in multiple media <laughs> Today, <laughs> Felix, what do you got, what do you think this guy's win in a fight is? Could you break it down? All right, so uh, a lot of people, a lot of people will tell you that the best base for combat is a you know Muay Thai, like a, a very versatile striking art or wrestle, wrestling because you can dictate where and how the fight takes place. Or you know, I've even said seen people say soccer because it gives you great cardio and it opens up your hips they're all wrong the best best base for fighting the absolute best is to be about 120 pounds overweight and addicted to cocaine <laughs> you can't beat that cocaine surge though you can't beat it Moving on, I, I would say like the, the other thing I really like about this Steve Bannon story is the hilarious fallout that it's causing among other among ex Breitbarters like uh, oh, friend nice. of the show Ben Shapiro and others who have been griping all day to say Andrew is rolling over in his grave about this. He would be there would be tears in his eyes to know that his legacy is being used for such tawdry opportunism and racism. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, he never did anything like that. Andrew actually is physically rolling over in his grave because he's still going through convulsions. It's kind of like a churrasco style rotisserie <laughs> where Andrew is buried. But I, for one, would just like to note again how funny it is that he's dead. <laughs> it's really it's funny. The funniest thing it's in the world. so funny. It's very Every funny. time you remember that Andrew Breitbart is dead, it's the gift you give yourself. <laughs> it's it's both funny but incredibly. Um, good for the people who like Ben <laughs> Shapiro no I'm just saying it's good for me but it's also good for people like Ben Shapiro because Felix as you said the best part about him being dead is that all his friends can now lie about him and pretend that like there's some universe in which he would not have ridden Trump's coattails for all it was worth yeah Breitbart if Andrew didn't die Breitbart was probably gonna like launch a vertical called uh, Thug Watch <laughs> that was, it was gonna be like Gawker Stalker but it was just gonna be like they were gonna contract people to take pictures of sagging pants. I can't work out what it is exactly that Trump does that they think he would object to. Like, I, I don't I, where, I don't know what specifically it is that he uh, does. Libby, uh, Trump's betrayal of true conservatism, which we all know <laughs> right. Andrew yeah, Breitbart Trump's was a, a totally sincere tribune of. Right. Yeah, I mean, we all remember Andrew's crusades, uh, editing videos to make black people seem like they're actually more racist than white people, uh, <laughs> screaming about rapists at Occupy Wall Street. Um what else? I mean, just like pure conserv Burkean conservatism at its best. I mean, Edmund Burke famously said, all that is necessary 
for evil to triumph is for good men to get destroyed by inner city thugs in the knockout game. <laughs> well, I, I just want to check in, like I said, with friend of the show, Ben Shapiro, because he has described Steve Bannon as, quote, the most evil person that I know. Which is almost certainly not oh, true. No, <laughs> Look in the mirror. Yeah, it's definitely not true. <laughs> it's almost certainly not true. And if Ben Shapiro is willing to describe you as despicable, like I said, chances are you're in some way kind of a cool person. And I think we've sort of established that yeah, about mean, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is probably like a, he's a piece of shit but like who would you actually have more fun hanging out with Steve Bannon or Ben Shapiro I think it's, <laughs> you know what I want to hang out with them both so I can watch Bannon be like like doing like this racist Chris Farley thing and Ben Shapiro's stupid bow tie spins around in outrage that's what I want to see <laughs> well yeah that would be fun I like I like Bannon I like alt-right Chris Farley <laughs> remember when he called all the Mexicans rapists <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I'm going to say Slipper He's in like, the van down by the river. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I agree that he's probably more fun than Ben Shapiro, but there was a really disturbing detail again in that Bloomberg piece, which is that his house is decorated like Lincoln's house or something. Like he, kept, he has a portrait of Lincoln in his in his drawing Lincoln, room. But then he also he, he also described it as uh, you know like going back to the 1860s as if it's all decorated like Lincoln's fucking powder room. And like I think that's really disturbing. I think that betrays a, a really sick man in a in a very like deeply. I mean, there's obviously this weird conservative thing of like appropriating figures from history, you know, the founding fathers and Lincoln and stuff. But that takes it to a whole like creepy new sort of cosplay level. It's like he, I, he's yeah. he's like that couple that uh, only dress and live in the Victorian <laughs> times, except he's swaggering through this like beautiful 19th century drawing room wearing Tommy Bahama shorts and like sweating through Oakley sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm like Lincoln. He's trying to bring slavery back so. <laughs> yeah it's true it's true uh key difference also lincoln lincoln died when he caught a shot to the back of the head in a theater whereas uh bannon is probably just gonna die due to a hot shot outside of a movie theater. <laughs> I want to. I just real quickly. I, I would. I do want to check in on Shapiro because he had a whole storm of. He had a whole lot of thoughts about Steve Bannon that he, um, of course, was quick to share today. And I just want to read a little bit about Ben Shapiro on Steve Bannon, but um, in Ben Shapiro's voice. I'm going to attempt to do it now. Okay. Steve Bannon turned Breitbart into Trump for his own personal gain. Back in March, I quit Breitbart News when it became clear to me that he had decided that loyalty to Donald Trump outweighed loyalty to their own employees. He goes on, Trump's campaign strategy could be the launch of a new media outlet. Because Bannon's ambitions extend to Steve Bannon, he'll tell Trump he's doing a fantastic job, even if he isn't. That's how Bannon's Fengali political figures, investors... They invest in themselves and their personal genius and then hollow them out from the inside. That's what he did to Sarah Palin. She went from a legitimate political figure to a parody artist and a Trump endorser. That's what Steve Bannon does along every step of the way. Sorry, did he say Sarah Palin was a legitimate yeah, political figure? Yeah. What the fuck happened yeah. to her? Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and um, I, I did also see other, other people saying, again, this idea that, that, that Trump would be crying. I mean, I'm sorry, that Breitbart would be crying over any of this is hilarious, which is why it's good that he's dead because they can get away with this kind of shit. It's sort of like how I think it's good that for conservatism that a lot of their heroes or people that are considered heroes in the popular culture are dead. 
because they can continually lie yeah, about absolutely. them. Not to get too conspiratorial, but I think actually one of the reasons Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated was so that uh, 40 or 50 years later, people like Glenn Beck and uh, Andrew Breitbart could pretend that they would have marched on Selma with him. You're right. And no, yeah, but I mean, the only, whereas the only person who's actually living up to Martin Luther King's legacy is Ron Fournier. Moving on from uh, Steve Bannon, uh, I want to go on now to another guy who I think has been uh, brutally overshadowed and now looks like even more of a chump than he did at the beginning of the week. And I'm talking about the latest uh, Never Trump Nobody to uh, now officially take the mantle of useless, uh, quixotic, independent uh, presidential bid to unseat Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I'm talking about this guy, Evan McMullen. Yeah, baby. What do, you, what do you guys know about this dude? What do you guys know? He's a freaking wonk, and it's about time America had a wonk president. Evan McMullen, uh, what does America love? TED Talks, Goldman Sachs, the CIA. Wow, it would be great if there was a candidate who is associated with all three of these things. Oh, wait, he exists, and he has a bulb-like head that is pleasurable to <laughs> Felix, that's a good point, because unlike David French, who is the last guy to flirt with this, Evan McMullen has the benefit of looking like a human being. Like, he's not soul-chilling to look yes, upon. David French did look like a sloth. <laughs> yeah, David French looked like a sloth that was getting chemotherapy. <laughs> But Evan McMullen looks virile. He looks, actually looks like a festival. <laughs> and that's really, for, I mean, speaking in sort of like the unofficial spokesman of high T voters, we had our chance with Martin O'Malley. He was kind of a Obama. <laughs> he was going to be the first Jack president. But he sort of, people conspired to do uh, Jack Diswaj Noir to him, which is misogyny against Jack people. <laughs> And he was unfairly cheated out of his win, as you can see in the DNC emails. But Evan McMullen is our next best shot. It, looks like, it definitely looks like he works out. Um, and as we, yeah, like we said, he he used to be in the CIA. Hell yeah. Uh, my, you know, my joke when I first found out about this is that he, former CIA, former Goldman Sachs, who does TED Talks. Like, if anyone, he's just going to take away votes from Hillary Clinton. I, I don't know <laughs> if he will have any effect on this election at all. It's eating into her base, not uh, Trump's. There's there's not a whole lot. I mean, he, his TED Talk was about uh, genocide in Syria. And I'm not kidding. He had a PowerPoint presentation that included photos of, quote, industrial scale killing that was, he thought that he claimed was smuggled out of Syria. So he gave oh, a yeah, TED Talk. Smash that download button on that one. <laughs> he gave the, the TED Talk version of, like, night and fog basically but um about syria and he, he definitely wants us to get involved in syria he's a he's a human he has a humanitarian yeah. kind of foreign policy is Finally, what i'm trying to say a candidate that will get us involved in syria <laughs> yeah but um 
I, I, I wanted to check in on what uh, the, the Never Trump uh, diehards, how they're, how they're responding to Evan McMullen. And of course, I went to the National Review. Oh, wait, qu- uh, quick digression. Have you guys noticed that uh, another show favorite, uh, John Nolte of Breitbart, has changed his Twitter display name to Never Trump is Gay? <laughs> yeah, man. I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I he's, like, he's not wrong. Like never Trump, never Trump is like pejoratively gay. Like when people say that you shouldn't say things are pejoratively gay to mean that they're weak and stupid. And like, okay, like what is never Trump but weak and stupid? But like, do better, I, John. I, I took it literally. I mean, I I think they are all actually. I think that I think maybe they are all homosexuals. Like <laughs> this man is a homosexual. Do they have steak every night with their hot wife? I don't think so. No. Ben Shapiro spends his nights playing Dungeons and Dragons with his wife. Not gay. <laughs> David French and Ben Shapiro may have glory hold each other, but that was just to like get into the minds of liberal bathroom sickos. That's not, it's like you don't call a cop a criminal because he goes undercover, do you? Okay, just like again, use logic. <laughs> So uh, we're, we're, let's look at Never Trump here. Uh, this is from the National Review. Uh, this is by Josh uh, Gerlerter. And uh, this is about, about <laughs> the, it says, um, the headline here is, how conservative candidate Evan McMullen can win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, all right. Now, now guys, you left, but he, he, he knows, he knows he's not stupid. He knows that he understands the reality. He says, it's very, very unlikely, but new conservative independent candidate for president Evan McMullen can win, but only if he runs only in Utah. Bear with me, folks. Matt, you're in Utah right now. I have to so say, Mullen Mentum is, is on the streets. I was in Temple Square earlier, <laughs> and the talk was all about McMullen. McMullen, McMullen, McMullen. People are crazy for him. Hell yeah. Uh, th- this whole idiotic thing just goes down to some convoluted way in which the election will get thrown to Congress, and then he'll be appointed president or something like that. It's really stupid, but this is the best part. Gerlerter writes, If among swing states, Trump can win Florida... North Carolina, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. (laughs) He'll have 273 electoral votes. Three more than the 270 he needs to win. If he wins Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, and Iowa, he just goes through all these elaborate scenarios. I'm willing to say right now Trump will win none of those states. No, apparently he's got like a nine point, or Hillary has a nine point or better advantage in states adding up to 273 electoral votes right now. He's, he might not win anything. <laughs> oh dear. Now, okay, we, we we all know how stupid this is going to be, and like that they have to they have to keep this flame flickering in in their sort of like Miss Havisham like attic that they all apparently live in. <laughs> but I, what, this is more interesting for because it led me to this digression. Whenever I go to the National Review and I come across a name like Josh Gerlerter, I always have to go to the bio and see what his deal is. And this one is fairly bland. It said, Josh Gerlerter writes weekly for NRO and is also a regular contributor to the Weekly Standard. But it says, he is founder of a tech startup, Detach. And there's a link on Detach. And I said, aha, what is this? What do you guys think uh, Detach, his tech startup, is a company a company that does what? Uh, I think it's a castration startup. I think it's just getting those bloody balls chopped up. I think it allows you to detach from uh, uh, urban communities through like Uber for <laughs> security guards and uh, like electrified fences. I think I think I have it. I have it. I have it. It is 
it's like a, an electric fence for dogs, but for wives so that they can't <laughs> go they can't go to bars or restaurants that have a greater six to one male to female ratio if the right, husband uh, is on deployment goes to boyfriends and it comes with yeah. an email blocker too obviously yeah email blocker actually email any other dude no no matt ding 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 that is the closest email blocker okay i went to detach's website and clicked on the what is detach i clicked about here is the spiel for detach it says finding attachments is hard you've got gigabytes of stuff you've got gigabytes of stuff stored in your email buried and lost forever wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier way to find that work presentation that tax tax document that report from school those photos from vacation three years ago now there is detach gives you a browsable searchable feed of email attachments every file you send or receive appears in a beautiful visual interface and you can forward download print or post to social media direct from our app next time you spend more than 60 seconds finding an email attachment remember there's a better way detach can, can you fucking believe that this is real <laughs> You know, at first I thought this is a painfully and awfully unnecessary product, but then I heard that the display is beautifully laid out, and now I'm sold. <laughs> this Are reminds you- me very strongly of, like, when I uh, used to watch Fox News for a living, and, like, at least 50% of the adverts were about, uh, like, services of internet for old people. There's this thing called it HughesNet, and it's like, you can shop. You can talk to your family and stuff, and it's just like so obviously designed for people who have never learned how to double click on a mouse. It's like that's the sink. Exactly it, what this is. It's like the uh, the Cinco product from Tim and Eric. That's the internet, but it's just on a CD-ROM. <laughs> it's just a CD-ROM you put in your computer, and you're yes. like, chat, talk, detach, detach. Exclusively available on the Jitterbug. <laughs> Guys, no, but seriously, don't you wish there was a way of searching your email inbox for documents that you sent? It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I'm losing documents. I'm always losing documents. My wife is always like, what? I told you I was going to go on vacation with my chiropractor platonically. I sent it an email to you, and I'm like, I don't believe you, and I can't search my email. I'm just unable to search my email, and she goes on vacation with him. <laughs> that is detached, and uh, the state of never Trump. Never Trump is gay. That is the state of never Trump is gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's just what we should call it from now on. Here's something that we should talk about. You should say, you might say, let's talk about. <laughs> and I'm referring, of course, to. Uh, the article on uh, Wanket this week by Rebecca Schoenkampf, a.k.a. Commie Girl 1, entitled, Let's Talk About Juanita Broderick. Now, this article would have been better if it had just been followed up with the, the, the end of the article should have just said, let's not. And then they should have just published that and moved on. But no, actually, uh, Rebecca went on at length about Juanita Broderick. Uh, By way of background, BuzzFeed did a big profile of Juanita Broderick this week in which she um, brings up um, her her claim that Bill Clinton raped her, which she has maintained for many years now. It's been out there for a long time. But, of course, he's back in the news and she's becoming something of a, you know, she is she is wanting to wants to get out there and tell her story to sort of counter the Clintons or whatever and of course Wonkette felt the need to address this you know 
uh, a tough issue for anyone to talk about. You know, I don't think we should get into, uh, you know, whether whether you believe Bill Clinton raped anyone or not. Uh, you can draw your own conclusions based on the public record. Uh, but I don't know. This came up because. Oh, something I did earlier in the year, I said, what's the most reactionary position we can get Clinton supporters to defend before the primary is over? And I guess the primary is over, so it doesn't really count anymore. But um, basically what Rebecca did in this article answered my question fairly convincingly, would you say? Yeah. I'm reading I'm rereading it again now, and like I... <laughs> I'm getting mad. I'm getting mad online. It's it's, it's, it's actually quite infuriating. It's a really bad article. It's really, it's really bad. bad. And it's the kind of thing you can only write when you're the publisher of a website. Like, if anyone else had written this, it would have basically ended their career. But let's yeah, just... it's uh, just... Sorry. No, no, Libby, go ahead. No, it's just... I mean, the thing about it is that, you know, the, the I guess the impulse is good to actually address the, the allegations rather than yeah. just ignoring it. That's fine. And she says some reasonably... Uh, okay, things like that. You know, she, the, you know, she understands why people would believe her, and you know, she probably does. You know, could believe her, but then it seems that her conclusion is, but I don't care because it's Bill Clinton. I don't care because I mean, <laughs> she says, I can see your nice grandpa doing that back then. I mean, isn't that the whole fucking point about? like the, the uh, discussion about rape culture these days is that things were different back then and that we're supposed to put the critical lens that we have on it now back on stuff that you know the, the, they didn't have the same uh, consciousness exactly yeah they didn't have they didn't understand uh, as much about it then so like it's just it's the most backwards way of looking at it it's the most it, I mean and again it would never be applied to, to anyone else that standard would never be applied to anyone else it is just because it's Bill Clinton and because she likes Hillary Clinton that's it's unbelievable look uh, I've seen a lot of people criticizing Rebecca Just say Kami Girl 1 Kami Girl 1 aka Kami Girl 1 aka do you think the original Kami Girl is pissed off that this has happened because she's definitely she's definitely uh, I look first of all I want to talk about this article's good points one she forgave Bill Clinton on behalf of Juanita Broderick. This shows a lot of personal growth and maturity that Rebecca forgave Bill for raping another person. This is like, this is kind of, you see why she's the editor and other people are just writers. There's like kind of a maturity that comes with that job too. Uh, this also shows maturity because if you read Rebecca's other articles, they're like, uh, the LOL cat fell when Jill Stein ca- epic fails. Can I has a Supreme Court she justice Jill Stein a cunt called Jill Stein a cunt? But it's like mostly like talking about like Supreme Court nominations in LOL cat language. So it's like, in that one cat house style. Here is how Rebecca introduces her thoughts on what is you know a very sensitive issue. She writes, "Here are a few quick thinkerings." Oh God! Uh, okay, yeah, all oh, right. So painful. <laughs> Whenever I read that, I think I want to keep reading. This I actually person. want to read this. They've established trust that they, in my, in, as me as a reader, they've established trust that they're not they're a gonna, moron. They're going to treat this very and sensitive. That they have something that I want to know. <laughs> they're going to treat this very sensitive issue um, with the respect and thoughtfulness that it deserves. Yeah, it gets really weird later on when when she says it doesn't even necessarily make him a bad feminist. You know, later once he stops doing that. Okay, I just need to, we, just need, we just need to quote this in its entirety because it's it's extraordinary. 
She writes, to sum up, I think Bill Clinton could very well have raped Juanita Broderick. That doesn't make him an evil man or irredeemable. And then in parentheses, she says, I'm Catholic. We're all forgiven if we're sorry. And Broderick says that Bill Clinton personally called her up to apologize. <laughs> it goes on. It doesn't even necessarily make him a bad feminist. Agreed. You know, later, once he stops doing that. Okay, okay so am I, I to I like... It does that mean that once once you stop raping a person, like once you finish the act of raping a person, you then can go back to being a feminist? Like, is that what that if, means? Well, if you or, apologize and don't do well, it again, if you, if you apologize, I think there's like a decent interval, like maybe six weeks. <laughs> you know, especially if you give a little, if you give uh, some a little money to Nara, right, right, it has to leave you know, your bloodstream. And you like, amplify yeah. if you amplify a, a woman's voice. Right. You know, okay, if you think your about bloodstream like THC, and then and then you're a feminist again. I'm glad Libby said that being a feminist is kind of like a steroid cycle. Uh, you can do like six weeks of feminism, which is like doing six weeks of Trend, Clem, or uh, Nandrolone. And you get all the gains, which gains in this case equal empathy. Now you get off the cycle. And when you're off the cycle, you may rape Juanita Broderick. But when you get back on, you still like you still have some of those gains. So you can easily get back on that cycle and you still continue your path of gains or feminism or empathy. What is so weird to me about that passage is that he touches on this idea about like Catholicism, that like we're all sinners and can be forgiven, which is like this germ of an idea that like, OK, that people who have committed heinous crimes are not necessarily irredeemable that like they can find grace or some kind of redemption in their life even though they've done a terrible thing i think that that's like a legitimate moral point of view however if you raped someone or as she said i'm fairly certain he did wouldn't you basically just have to write them off morally or like as any kind of like moral exemplar or leader for the rest of their life? Certainly, right? right? And also like personally calling her up to apologize. Yeah, who gives a thing, shit? Yeah, I mean, exactly, who gives a shit? And also it's one thing if you're just, if you were just like at college together, but he, he was the fucking president. Like, I think that also has to include like being, you know, public about it, maybe like addressing it in public and not just doing the whole little bit nutty, little bit slutty thing. I mean, you like, him calling her up and being like, oh, my bad, is no good if he doesn't then, you know, go on NBC and say, oh, my bad. You know, it doesn't, it's, yeah. it's not the same fucking standard at all. I mean, um, it's sort of like if Bill Clinton, if he did it today, he would have like written an apology on Pastebin or notes and screenshotted <laughs> it and like made it his pin tweet and been like, follow these wonderful gals. And then Rebecca would have <laughs> Re Re Rebecca would have been like, "Good enough for me, Bill." He would have, she would have retweeted it, and that would have been fine. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, I didn't think it. Would, I think I would have thought it was it would be a crude and stupid parody a month ago, if you had said like Hillary Clinton feminist would have said Bill can rape someone and technically still be a good feminist. But uh, right. here we are. No, I was going to say it's weird because, you know, I've read other Clinton supporters uh, kind of dealing with the Broderick thing. There was Amanda Marcotte back in January and there's, uh, you know, Eric Bowler has written about it too. But they never go as far as to say, yeah, he did it, but it's fine if he did now. 
you know, they always just, you know, go with the whole world. It's unproven or, you know, I seem to remember, I seem to remember Amanda not believing what he she said. We don't need a Roderick was too close to all these right wing operatives who tried to take advantage of her. So, I mean, Amanda Marcotte came very close to saying, I don't believe her. Well, she said it was thoroughly investigated in the 90s. There is simply no evidence one way or another to tell if it was a sincere accusation or yet another incident of a wild-eyed Clinton hater. Oh, okay. Uh, wild-eyed. Not all rape allegations are the same, she says. Thank okay. you, Amanda. I mean, I, the, uh, the person that I look to to evaluate the criminal justice system uh, through Clinton derangement sy- syndrome is the woman who willfully got a ray gun tattooed on her arm forever. <laughs> <laughs> Stop! That's doxing. That's doxing. Do not do that. I'm right, sorry. Do I'll do better. Do that, so, guys. Noah, Noah Berlansky. I'm sorry. <laughs> so again, let's. Uh, Rebecca said, "Let's talk about Winita Broderick." Uh, Rebecca, let's not. You really shouldn't have talked about Winita Broderick. You should have. You really should have kept these thoughts to yourself. So yeah, not, there's not, this is a this we should have done this story last because there's actually uh, no way to segue out of it. But let's talk about freedom in America. Let's talk about the state of freedom in these fifty oh, states yes. in in this American life. And I'm referring, of course, to the Cato Institute's annual Freedom in the Fifty States ranking of all the fifty states by the policies that shape personal and economic freedom. Gotta love it, brother. Gotta love. Free, gotta love it, brother. Really amazing to be able to look up how free you are in one easy place. Now, I am broadcasting from New York State. Let's uh, let's look this up real quick on the map. Hold on a second. What ranking overall fifty? New York is the least free state in the country again. Oh, I'm gonna what? fucking kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I am going to kill we myself. We smuggle Chapo out of the state on like a on like a microfilm every week. Yeah. It's like East Berlin. Me and Will are making a seastead. I'm looking down. It's wait, wait. You need to read though. You need to read their policy recommendations for yes, New York. Yes, yes. The policy there, recommendations there are incredible. I mean, New York being being fiftieth is one thing, but they're recommendations for making it just that little bit more free uh, to cut spending on hospitals, Check. housing, Check. libraries, Check. public welfare, Check. sanitation yes, and double sewerage. Check. Double, double check. Public transit, employee retirement, miscellaneous. Don't mi- Get that stuff <laughs> miscellaneous. out of there. I- all those people, all those people with no access to healthcare and housing are going to be free as hell. So if you're wondering why you felt so unfree in New York, it's that your shit is whisked away from you by your toilet. That's what's making you feel so damn oppressed. Libby, I'm looking at the policy recommendations and I'm thinking to myself, I've lived in New York City my entire life. And if there's one thing I've had too much of, it's sanitation, sewage and public transit. We spend way too much money on all of those things. If we just turned it over to the private sector, we would be living in a, a utopia, or at least a less coin-operated <laughs> toilet. It's so a, fucking impressed by make it libraries. Happen. It, yeah, what do they have against library? How much money are we spending on libraries? I don't know. I, I too, too much. Too much. Any money is too libraries much. are by definition just an affront to them because you go there and they give you a book for free. It just their brain short circuit. They can't process. There, yeah, there are barely no Barnes and Nobles left in New York either. That's also terrible. You can't even pay for books anymore. 
We spend $80 billion a year on libraries in Brooklyn alone. If you add it up to the entire city, the state, the state of New York spends $2 trillion on libraries every year. If you just uncock the uh, tax, tax disbursements, you have to uncock the data. Do the math. Okay. How many kids are there in New York? Uh, 500 million. We have to pay a tax per kid of $2 a year. Add that up. How much is that? That's a trillion dollars. And then they give you a processing fee, which is $1. That's $2 trillion. We're paying $2 trillion for all these libraries so the kids can rent Beetleborgs comic books? No, thank you. <laughs> Libby, I'm also looking at the uh, policy recommendations here, and it also says abolish rent control. Yes. Yeah. If there's one thing I'm impressed by Absolutely. in New York City, it's the ability to uh, afford the apartment I live in. It's the hey, single I mean, most crushing form of oppression that I face is um, being able to pay rent in uh, New York City. Yeah, I'm pretty disgusted that the landlord doesn't have the ability to charge, you know, seven thousand dollars for a closet. That's, you know, that's his right as well, an American if, to do that. If yeah, I was like, a landlord, if they got rid of it, every building would have like fifteen doormen who all knew Hamilton. <laughs> by heart and wrapped it for you every time you came home. It says one more, It'd be one amazing. more prescription. It says slash tobacco taxes, which are so high as to be almost tantamount to prohibition. Now, I know, Felix, feel you feel me on that one, right? Uh, I actually get the cigarettes without tax stamps, and if they lowered them, then I would be probably paying like $10 a pack, and I pay $8 a pack, and because it would take out the incentive to break the law, so I actually keep them very high. So I keep getting them without tax I, stamps. I have Thank lived you. in New York my entire life, and we need more people smoking, less public transportation, um, and sort of like a la carte uh, public services like uh, sewage, um, fire, and... Uh, Uber for shit. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that I can agree with. That I can totally Actually, agree the, with. Uh, the tobacco tax thing reminds me of uh, so when I worked at Media Matters, uh, it was during it was when uh, Eric Garner was killed, and Sean Hannity's uh, argument about that was that uh, Eric Garner wouldn't have died if it weren't for tobacco taxes because the fact that tobacco taxes are so high meant that he was selling Lucy's, and he if he wasn't selling Lucy's, then he wouldn't have been strangled to death by a cop. Uh, and he had this guy on his radio show to talk about how in Texas is the most free state because it has no taxes or whatever. Mm. And uh, yeah, his big thing was that like tobacco taxes killed Eric Garner. So it's clearly like and black people are not killed in Texas. No, ever. It's, it's, like, never it's amazing. Never, never you look at the statistics. I'm, I'm, right. I'm going through the freedom in 50 states map as well. I'm looking at uh, North Carolina right now, which is ranked 19. Free so as hell. I have some work to do, but um. It's funny, I don't see anything in the policy recommendations about letting um, trans people use the bathroom. Well, there are some very interesting things missing from, I wanted, I do want to talk about how it's calculated. So one huge thing that's missing from their, their weighting of, of things is abortion. They don't include abortion at all. Uh, it's just, and there's actually a, like a footnote in in the uh, in the freedom. report about how you know they've like calculated it with abortion. If you want to do it yourself, if that's important to you, you know, if you're like one of the literally millions of women who's had an abortion. Um, but other things that do feature uh, include trans fat bans. That gets uh, 0.1 percent. Uh, whether raw milk is legal is a thing that factors into their <laughs> into their uh, calculations. Uh, prostitution, physician-assisted suicide. Um, but the one that really caught my eye was uh, under personal freedom. 
uh, cousin marriage is one of the things that they consider. When Nobody is talking about this. Free. No one's Nobody talking, is about, talking about, no this talking about this. <laughs> so wait, what state has the highest freedom in terms of cousin, the ability to marry your first cousin? I haven't actually looked. I, I don't know if it allows you to uh, break, break it to down break by it that. Down. <laughs> but it's, I think... It's got to be West Virginia, right? Come uh, on. You would think, yeah. But it, it really, I need to point out that so they tell you like what percentage they they give to each of these things, and so like uh, you know, um, drug enforcement rate is one point four percent, for example, or uh, you know, public school choice is zero point one percent. Cousin marriage is zero point four percent. So cousin marriage is four times as important, in, <laughs> like in terms of freedom, as the ability to choose your kid's school. It's also more important than <laughs> a waiting a waiting period for gun purchases. Um, firearms licensing index, uh, initial permit limit, you know, all these things that to them <laughs> wait, wait a second, important. wait a second. This whole libertarian thing is just a big smoke screen for a couple guys to fuck their cousins. Yeah. Yeah, it's, pretty much. It's kind of beautiful if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, by the way, cousin marriage. You know, have you ever been to a Coke family reunion? <laughs> you, it gets fucking wild around the punch bowl, yo. Sorry, one cousin more Cousin marriage is also weighted this, exactly the same as sodomy laws. So if you're forbidden from having anal sex, that's the same amount as fucking your cousin. <laughs> what, what about sodomizing your cousin? That's the freest. Well, that, that is I guess the that freest you can be. <laughs> That's freedom squared. Sodomizing your cousin with trans fats is the freest you can be. (laughs) Sorry, one more digression about New York. I I, I came back to New York, which is ranked the least free state in America. Cato also says, New York's criminal justice policies are reasonably decent. (laughs) 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 But um, looking at the overall map, and, and we were talking about this a little before, it's, it's interesting, like I said, New York and California are rated as the least free states in America. The most free states in America, these are, these are the states with the highest ranking of overall freedom, are Alaska, Oklahoma, uh, South Dakota, and Indiana. Of those states, all Indi- amazing states. <laughs> of those states, in- <laughs> Indiana is, is basically the only one where people actually live, but is also an absolute hole. <laughs> It's a shithole. I drive through that thing like once a month, and it's the most godforsaken shit <laughs> realm on earth. It's called cro- it's called the crossroads of America. It's it's its motto literally is an admission that people drive through it to get somewhere more interesting. Uh, Indiana invented a little thing called racism. <laughs> they did have the largest Klan uh, movement in the in the twenties. So kudos they did there. They invented the Klan. They invented the Klan. Don't you feel silly now? But basically, they, they rate all these states as being the most free because there is the least taxation and the least regulation on business. But, of course, we noted the irony that they are among the least populated states in America, and the states where basically anyone actually wants to live and work are all the least free, according to Cato. So, I, 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 what, what to make of this irony, if, if you are a libertarian? How do you process this? Shut up! <laughs> People are sheeple. They're but just Matt, sheeple. <laughs> but Matt, you made the point that like in Cold War propaganda, it was like a knock on the Soviet Union that everyone wanted to come to America for democracy. Whiskey, yeah, it was sexy, all, they always say like, you're, oh, you're voting with your feet, you know. And they wanted to and come to the people West. People do vote for their feet and they want less freedom. People march towards the sound of, of uh, regulation 
and uh, government spending. And public, that's like. and public transportation. But that's because libertarianism is is brutally unpopular. That's the big <laughs> joke at the heart of the whole thing. It's it's very high profile because there are a number of crazy old rich assholes who are very interested in making it popular and are willing to spend a lot of money on it. But it's just a thing that nobody actually cares about. No, nobody is intuitively interested in it. Nobody, when you explain what it would mean to their lives, wants to get on board. And that's just a reality that none of them can confront. Right. I mean, this is the thing they keep talking about economic freedom in this in this thing. They keep talking about how they're calculating economic freedom, but that's not really what economic freedom means. Like economic freedom means, you know, that you are able <laughs> you are able to feed your children. You know, like that you are able to live and uh, you know not <laughs> not die. I guess. Excuse me, ma'am, but I believe you're referring to positive <laughs> liberty. Positive liberty is a chimera and the road to serfdom. The only true liberty is negative liberty. Good day, madam. <laughs> oh, my God, is that Bobby Sons music? <laughs> I, I, I actually don't believe anything. Never mind. <laughs> but God, it is Robbie Suave. <laughs> I just want to... I, they, they're hiring. I just like... Reason pays me. I don't really have any core beliefs of any kind. <laughs> I just like hanging out with Ben Dreyfus and going to have epic cocktails at DC's hottest clubs. <laughs> And wearing a lanyard every day of my life. I don't actually care about anything. <laughs> Olivia, I'm looking again at the uh, how how it's scored. Oh, and, it's so under, and under labor market freedom, they give negative points for fa- paid family leave. <laughs> oh my God, the tyranny of being able to go home and take care of your kid when you have a child. Right. I could be working and you're there. making me stay get home. Get out of there. Get, I, should, I leave this child at home to suckle on the dog. It was good enough for Romulus and Remus. It'll be good enough for my my son, my strong son Thaddeus. And let me get back out there and make money like I'm supposed to. Like I want to because oh, I'm free. Oh, wow. I would, re- I, would really hate to, I would really hate to give my child abandonment issues and uh, to keep them from becoming a successful sexually repressed playwright. <laughs> Morons. They have this huge thing as well about occupational licensing. They seem to think that occupational licensing is like the greatest threat to personal liberty. Oh my America. God, Will Much Wilkinson. like Matthew Iglesias and Will, Will Wilkinson. Wilkinson wrote a huge I'll, piece of it and Vox about that. Well, that's a Iglesias thing too. It's for all of the libertarians it's who so don't want to get on board with like the, the Hans Hermann Hopp, you know, blood and soil, you know, uh, moats and, and castle keeps and napalm baths for the poor. Right. They don't want to get on board with that. So they're like, you know, we should make bar- being a barber easier. Right. But like, <laughs> because, the thing is, is like, but they can still cash the checks. That's the important thing. Right. Because like, I mean, I think like the poster child for this cause is like uh, people who work in salons, like people who, you know, uh, manicurists and stuff. But some of the occupations that they want to do regulate in Nevada include opticians, um, childcare workers is something I really do not want to Ooh. deregulate. I'm really, really happy with as many regulations as possible on that. Uh, clinical laboratory technologists, pharmacy technicians, uh, uh, taxi Libby, drivers. Wait, uh, Libby, what, what, you're, what, I, what you're saying to me is that you don't want poor people to have access to affordable childcare and medicine. Is what I, I mean, that's wow. what you're saying. That's what I you're mean, saying. It's, one, it's wow. one or the other. It's wow. one or the other. It's either Typical bloody Tory. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bloody Tory, this is mate. Margaret Thatcher? She's Thatcher. I'm Theresa May, mate. She, we got Thatcher on the show. It's bloody shambles. <laughs> Um, but Libby, uh, your point about how abortion doesn't fe- f- feature anywhere on the ranking, I think if I'm looking at the personal freedom and like like the typical libertarian thing where they like they're like, hey, we don't think people should be thrown in jail for drugs. Hey, it's cool yeah. to be gay. 
you know, Defensive Marriage Act is wrong. But right. all these things are essentially, um, I know women go to jail too, but these are very male. It's just like, it speaks to how male-oriented the libertarian worldview right. is that nothing related to the, uh, being a woman features in this at all. Right. Well, actually, something I need to point out as well that I think Felix will appreciate is if you download the PDF version, there's like a little um, acknowledgement at the front. It says, To Jennifer and Mary, our respective partners in life, mothers of our children, and two who sacrificed countless nights and weekends for this fourth edition. I really feel like they shouldn't have bothered. (laughs) (laughs) They shouldn't have have sacrificed those nights. (laughs) Yeah, you should probably have been raising your kids instead of the fourth edition, but... I think, like, a big part about being a parent is doing things than regretting them. I feel like the, their kids, you know, the mothers of our children, they say, I feel like their kids are going to be asking, you know, Jennifer and Mary, like, you know, why isn't daddy coming to my little league game? And it's like, well, he's, he's calculating the effect of occupational licensing in Nevada on the personal liberty of people who live there. It's like, he's got to okay, figure out if North or South Dakota is more free. Um, he's been up weeks on that. The other occupation in Nevada that needs to be deregulated and deprofessionalized is, of course, prostitution. Oh, right. Absolutely. Boiling. <laughs> Auga, auga. Please do not oppress anybody's boners. That would be the worst thing you could do. So that's the state of freedom in America. Um, everyone, you know, and, and this goes back to like the National Review, like Kev Williams, uh, you know, J.D. Vance, moral crisis and the working white working class thing. In these depressed communities, move to freer states like South Dakota. Indiana's doing great. They only had a giant outbreak of HIV last year. <laughs> yeah, so they're I doing mean, fantastic. Yeah, move to New Hampshire. You can you can be free as you like and uh, probably die of an opiate addiction. It's pretty. It's pretty. Oh, nice. that's amazing. If you're a woman, there's nothing freer than that. If you're a single woman who's like sick of the dating scene and all these whack ass fuck boys, move to Alaska <laughs> where there are ten to one men for every woman. It'll Dude, be the Alaskan dating, Tinder has got to be great. It will be the dating scene of your dreams. I, if I was a woman, I would definitely be getting some Tundra dick right now in Alaska. <laughs> uh, that's what we, you know. People say, "What do women want? They want economic freedom. They want economic <laughs> and personal liberty." And that dick. <laughs> Thank you, Cato Institute. So. Um, that about does it for this week's show. But Libby, uh, b- b- before we go, we just alluded to it briefly. Um, Theresa May, new the new the bloody new PM. Give us your thoughts, real quick. Uh, she's shit. That's really all. <laughs> That's really all I have to say. What a load of bollocks! Yeah, she's bringing she's bringing greatness back to uh, Downing Street, mate. I'm bloody chuffed. Oh, hold on, wait, guys, we're the most guys. feminist nation in the G8 now, guys. Guys, we're getting... feminists as all out, mate. It's amazing. Guys. It's bloody brilliant, guys. I am getting the Chapo phone line is ringing right now. Uh, you oh. won't believe this. What do we got? This we got. Arthur... We got green light. We got Teresa. Uh, yeah, it... No, no, this is what, Arthur Chu. Should, should I put him oh, on? Oh shit! It's Arthur Chu. I also have. No way. I also have to leave the room for a reason. Hi, this is Arthur Chu. I don't agree with her plan to put all Muslims in a habitrail, but I think it's cool that she's a woman, and I especially like her footwear choices. Okay, I'm going away now. Well, so how was that, guys? How was he missed? He, you missed Arthur Chu, Felix. It was amazing. It was amazing. You missed Chu, dude. It was awesome. It was uh, probably our biggest, it. our biggest get. Yeah, it's fucking it's IBS. Really IBS. He's only here I for wish 10 you could be a part of it. I always have IBS when the big guests call in. This <laughs> happened when Lynn Manuel Miranda called in. This is fucking you have bad. 
IBS induced by your phone ringing? Yeah, I do. I do. Anytime your phone rings, <laughs> you just really want to shit everywhere. It's a Pavlovian uh, response. And then once more, Libby, before you go, can you say barbecue food? Oh, Jesus. I mean, it helps me if I can if I can say it in in, in a context. Can you give me it in a well, sentence? Hey, what's your favorite um, American dish, Libby? <laughs> What do you like to eat here in the USA? Uh, it's barbecue food. <laughs> <laughs> Smashing, mate. I like the cheeky Nando's myself, but that's good too. I'll see you at Nando's. No, no. Okay. Uh, we got to let Libby go. She's got to top up her bloody mobile. <laughs> um, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you again soon. Libby, thanks so much for coming on. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Bye, Libby. Bye, everybody. Get me some cocaine. I crave cocaine, <laughs> but I can't find nothing here in Atlanta. Going back down to South Georgia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.